This Dharma Talk was presented at the Austin Zen Center in Austin, Texas. For more information, visit austinzencenter.org. So I would like to take this opportunity to welcome Reverend Shinshu Roberts Roshi. He is the Dharma heir of Sojin Mel Weitzman. And I have fond memories. This was actually, I think, my first Dharma transmission ceremony that was happening around me when I was a student, a fairly new student at Kalsahara. And uh, Shinshu and her wife, Jaku Kinst, were both receiving Dharma transmission from Sojin Mel. I think, I'm not sure what year that was, but anyway. <laughs> and uh, Shinshu is also a native Texan, it turns out, and author of uh, the book, Being Time, a Practitioner's Guide to Dogen's Uji. So, and today Shinshu will be speaking about Dogen and studying Dogen. So we just had a uh, Genzoe a couple of weeks ago. Uh, so we were all studying Dogen together and we'll continue to study Dogen together. So I want to warmly welcome and appreciate Shinshu. Thank you so much for coming here virtually. And I know you've been here numerous times uh, in the past uh, over the many years. Uh, and we really hope to see you back here in person before too long. So thank you very much, Shinshu, for coming. Thank you, thank you. What did you study in the Genzoi? Uh, Kokyo, do you wanna say just a, uh, Kokyo led the Genzoi on Muchu. Kokyo-san. Hey, good to see you, Shinshu. We studied um, Muchu Setsumu, um, within a dream, expressing the dream. Oh, great. That sounds like a serious fascicle to study. That's for sure. So great. Okay. Well, uh, you know, first I want to say thank you very much, Mako-san. Thank you very much for for asking me to do this. Um, I wouldn't call myself a native Texan because I wasn't born in Texas. And for those of you who were, you understand about this. Um, Nevertheless, I did uh, live in uh, Texas for many of my formative years, including in Austin, where I went to school at UT. And uh, I lived on Pearl Street for a while, which is just around the corner from the Austin Zen Center. Uh, so I have fond memories of that neighborhood. It was my old stomping grounds. Okay, so today I'm going to share some thoughts with you about um, how I have studied Dogen and some ideas I have about how I think it is helpful and productive for us to study about Dogen. And I know that all of you have been studying Dogen over the years yourself and with your teachers. So I hope that this will be of help to you. And um, today I'll give some examples and some personal experiences. And mostly the three texts that I'm going to quote are briefly quote, will be Genjo Koan, Shoji, and um, Being Time in Uji. So the first thing is, I think all of us can agree that Dogen can be really hard to understand. Um, and the th other thing I'd like to say in general about him is that Dogen was uh, a brilliant scholar of Buddhism. Uh, he was a great practitioner a thinker and a transmitter of the teachings of Buddhism. And he also considered that what he taught to be just Buddhism, not something called Soto Zen. Um, 
the other thing that I think is important is Dogen was his interest was not in being a philosopher about um, well time, for example. Uh, I gave a talk a few years back at San Francisco Zen Center about uh, Uji being time, and someone in the Q and A section wanted to talk about the philosophical implications of modern science's understanding of time and Dogen. Nope, right over my head. Uh, I really believe that Dogen's interest was he wanted to teach us about how to practice, how to alleviate our suffering through the practice. I don't think he cared about the nature of time as some kind of philosophical question. This was a really vital question about how do we practice with our life as it is right now in this moment with all beings. So I would say that his vision of how that comes about is a really radical understanding about the whole world of things, persons, processes, everything as one event, but that one event is manifested by individual and particular Dharma positions. And Dharma positions would be a time, a being, a place, a situation, a person, a pen, your shirt, everything can be identified as a Dharma position. And all of those Dharma positions have their own kind of karma, they have their own isness. And yet, simultaneously, the interconnection of all of those functions happening, whether we know exactly what they are or how they function, all of those aspects of our life, outside our life, this totality functioning is the whole world. And Dogen says it is the whole world worlding the world in Uji. So, and in Gyoji, he talks about the continuous practice. Everything is practicing to make this world. So essentially, Dogen's vision of the world is altruistic. Even in the midst of our samsara, even in the midst of our problems and our difficulties, it, this is an altruistic process. All of the rising and falling and coming and going, all of this that we see is about this altruistic process of functioning and making this world. So everything is interconnected. Everything is interbeing, as Thich Nhat Hanh coined, with each other, and they thus make the world. So this is a kind of, I like to think of this as a kind of Buddhist theory of everything that Dogen came up with. Um, and he developed this out of the doctrines that preceded him. So what Dogen came up with was a unique, in some ways, view, but it was also completely grounded in the doctrinal lineage, if you will, of Buddhist teachings as they were developed and came and were transmitted to him. So this theory of everything, if you will, is manifest as our everyday life. This theory, this way of Dogen's looking at it is essentially, he's saying nothing special, nothing is hidden from us. This is our daily life. 
So in Shoji, he wrote, to seek Buddha apart from birth and death is like pointing north when you want to go south. Just understand that birth and death itself is nirvana. And you will never hate one as being birth and death and nor cherish the other as being nirvana. So he's saying, don't throw away your life. Don't think that your problems are something that must be gotten rid of. Don't think that your life is unimportant or that nirvana resides outside your life as it is right now. He says, if you think that Buddha, this Buddha, this nirvana is apart from your own birth and death, it's apart from this life of birth and death, then he says it's like you're pointing north when you're trying to go south. So you're going in the completely wrong direction. And yet, I would say that all of us come to practice usually. I mean, I know this was true for myself. I come to practice with the idea that there was something drastically wrong that needed to be fixed. And part of fixing it was getting rid of it. And I also had some notion that if I got rid of it, it would be like a one-time thing. And then somehow realization would be about everybody would like me. I'd never say the wrong thing. All life would be no suffering for me, right? It's all about me in this situation, my original notion of this. But then I came to find out through practice that actually, no, it's about really immersing ourselves in our life problems and all. Suzuki Roshi always said problems are Dharma gates. That's where we practice. Our problems are the loci of our practice. It's that place where the rubber meets the road. So I think that's here, this in Shoji. This is what Dogen is saying to us. So it's not about getting rid of our daily life. Practice is not about something special outside of our daily life. Nirvana is not outside of our daily life. It's not a pure place. It's not a place without problems. So I think it's hard. I think it's important to realize that that's what Dogen is expressing. That's what he's talking about. He's talking to real people. Remember, Dogen was primarily a teacher. And think about it. You know, he was dealing with a lot of probably a lot of really young guys, monks, right, in the monastery with him who were fraught with all sorts of issues. And also the lay people who he lived with. Uh, and the donors and the various people that he dealt with. So this kind of brings me to my first point about how I think about studying and reading Dogen. Don't translate what you don't understand into something that you do understand. So if you're reading Dogen and you don't understand what he said, and I'll give you some examples of this, don't try to make up a story about what you think it means. Just let it be there as it is and try to understand it from his point of view, which can be really difficult. And that's why we have all of these translate, all these commentaries. But I think to start there, and I know that sometimes people study Dogen in a kind of intuitive way. Um, and I think that if you do that, uh, it has its value, but I would suggest to you that 
it's really important to understand what Dogen's actually trying to communicate to us other than a kind of intuitive sense of, well, I think he means this uh, feeling. And I'll talk a little more about that later. Uh, right now, what I told, want to talk about is uh, an, another kind of issue about this is that uh, how we read Dogen, uh, another way that we read Dogen. So the example I want to give is in Genjo Koan. First of all, I want to say that Dogen did not write in paragraphs. So uh, the paragraphs are something that the translators are providing us because that's how we work in English. The other thing about English is English is a very binary language. It's this or that, and Japanese is not. So when you read a paragraph in Dogen, and in for us, you know, because this is inculcated into our understanding uh, we brought up of English grammar, when we re read a paragraph, we say, oh, the next paragraph means that it's a new subject. The next paragraph means that the now the person is writing this is going on to kind of an, another kind of train of thought here. But consider the fact that Dogen didn't write in paragraphs. So he doesn't have any paragraph breaks. And you'll notice that in some translations, the paragraphs have breaks at different times. Like if you compare translations, and that's why, because the translator is providing the paragraph breaks. So let me give you an example of this. In Ganjo Koan, there's a paragraph where Dogen's talking about going out in a boat and you think the shore is moving, but actually it's the boat. So many of us are familiar with Genjo Koan. And he ends that paragraph with, it will be clear, the paragraph that we are received from the translator. He ends the thought with, it will be clear that nothing at all has unchanging self. And then he moves on to the very famous passage about firewood and ash. Okay, because we know that Dogen did not write in paragraphs, there is no break here in his thought. He's saying, it will be clear that nothing at all has unchanging self and immediately says firewood becomes ash and does not become firewood again. So the question we should ask here is why does he start talking about firewood and ash right after he's talking about having an unchanging self? So you might say at this point, if you're reading this with the paragraph breaks, you might say, well, it's because the self is empty of inherent existence. That's what he just said, right? He just said, it will be clear that nothing at all has unchanging self. So you say to yourself, well, this is what I understand about the self. I understand about the self is empty of inherent existence. And if you translate that in that way, if you say to yourself, oh, I get it, I know about it no self and emptiness and all this stuff, then you might forget to ask the question, why does Dogen start to talk about firewood here? Because I think that's the question we should be asking, not defining to ourselves the nature of how we understand no self from the perspective of the doctrine of emptiness, but actually to say to ourselves, what just happened here? How, why did he start when he was talking about no self and all of a sudden we're talking about firewood and ash? Like, what was the transition that Dogen went through? What was the point here that he's trying to make? So I think a better question in this example would be, if I had an unchanging self, then what do I experience as a self? And I think that is the question 
that he is not saying here, but he is answering with the next paragraph. How is it that the self exists? And then he starts to talk about firewood and ash. He starts to talk about the Dharma position of firewood, the Dharma position of ash. He says firewood and ash have a past and they have a present and a future. But in the moment of this moment, they are 100% firewood. In the moment of who you are as a person in this moment right now, I am experiencing myself 100% this moment, who I am in this moment. The past, experience, the past certainly has led up to this present moment. The future is certainly, hopefully, there will be something past this moment for me and for you. But this moment, which includes all of you, by the way, and everything, this moment is functioning as one whole moment or Dharma position. It's real. It's, as Shohaku Okamura likes to say, it's 100% this. And this is how we exist as a self. It's impermanent in the sense that it's constantly in flux and changing, constantly uh, influenced by causes and conditions. We are constantly engaged in a dance with a totality of space and time and our lives and relationships and all of those things. And yet we have a sense that we have a real self and that it has solidity. That's how we experience the self. We experience the self as 100% firewood, 100% ash. Now, what's important about this is that if you experience the self and understand the self in that way, then you can be liberated from the karma of that moment. Does that leap make sense to you? If you understand that this particular moment is like a 360 degree circle, and if you understand that in that moment, anything is possible, even though there's a past and a future, in that moment, anything is possible. You have a choice through your awakening experience, through your practice, through your maturity, through your experiences, to, ha to have a particular response that is guided by your wisdom as opposed to your delusion. Does that make sense? So you go out of that moment, which is a 100% that moment, you actually have 360 degrees to exit that moment. And that's how the self exists in liberation. And so when Dogen starts his paragraph before, he says, it is clear that nothing at all has an unchanging self. And we ask the question, well, if that's true, then what's the story about firewood and ash? He's telling you how this self exists as an unchanging self, as a self that ha does not have an unchanging self. Does that make sense? So we need to ask ourselves these questions. We need to pay attention to the transitions from one thought to the next. And this is hard because usually when Dogen when we're reading Dogen, especially we're reading a commentary about Dogen or a commentary about Genjo Koan, people write a lot of commentaries where they break down the paragraphs. So you read the commentary and the commentary says, this is what this paragraph means. But they don't tell you why Dogen went 
from this thought to this thought. So we need to ask ourselves as practitioners, as students of Dogen, we need to say, okay, this is great. I think I understand now what we're talking about going out in a boat, you know, in the middle of the ocean and all of this. But what happened when he went from this thought to the next thought? What, what's he trying to say to us about the nature of our experience? So I would encourage you to kind of go, once you kind of get the lay of the land, go to the next step, which is to ask why, what's happening here? Because in Uji and I think in Genjo Koan, not all of his fascicles, especially in the earlier fascicles, there's a way in which Dogen is creating a complete past statement to us about how to practice. In Uji, he starts out with the, the realization verses of a teacher um, uh, whose name escapes me at this moment, Yashan. He starts out with the opening verses of Yashan about being time on the top of the mountain, the deepest ocean. And then the, when he starts, after he does his opening paragraph, which almost always is a summation of a whole thought of the fascicle. So he opens paragraph, he summarizes everything he's going to say, the kind of general thought of what he's going to say to you. And then what he start, then he starts going into the detail of what it is that he's trying to talk about. And in Uchi in particular, he takes us through a whole past statement about how to understand our relationship to, to being in time and then ends with Zhao San's awakening. So it's like a full circle that happens in that text. In Genjo Koan, he does the same thing. In Genjo Koan, he starts out, he talks to us about our practice and that last koan at the end, the story about, about, about uh, Baoshe fanning is the culmination of the totality of the teachings that he has given you throughout the text. So try to see Dogen as a whole flow of ideas, of a whole, he's trying to offer you something, a little package, if you will, a little origami that you unfold and fold back up and it becomes an actual guide to how to do the practice. Okay, so that, that's one observation I'd like to make about, about this. Um, so let's see. Uh, again, to go back to about to talk about the Genjo Ko, about the Shoji passage about birth and death. Um, I already touched on this, but you might think you know what enlightenment is. I think there's a trap we all get into as we want to define and understand, like what's Kensho? What is, what is Satori? Did I have a Satori experience? What is that? What happened to me that day? I want to go tell my teacher and I want them to say to me, wow, you are like halfway to enlightenment. You know, are, are no, you're only a third of the way there. So it's like, what is it that we're doing in this practice in, in that regard? And, you know, he's saying here, he's saying enlightenment is not a special state outside our daily experience. So this is kind of interesting to me because when we have something like a Satori experience, we think that is really outside of our daily experience. Like that's like a real special deal. 
But what would that be like if it were actually completely our daily experience? Like there's a way in which we engage in enlightened activity all the time. When you drive your car and you stop at a stop sign, that's an enlightened response. You don't think it's an enlightened response. You think to yourself, you don't even think about it. Why is it an enlightened response? Because you are responding to the totality of that situation, which is you should stop at the stop sign. It's an agreed contract that we have with all being who drive cars, with the mandala of the traffic of Austin, Texas. If you could see Austin, Texas, like up above and watch everybody driving, you would see patterns and functioning together. You would see a whole world whirling itself at that moment. You would see a way in which even in the midst of delusion, enlightenment was functioning and that you were part of that. And when you let somebody get in front of you who uh, cut in front of you and you just back off and let them have that space, that's an enlightened response. So we want it to be something special, but Dogen says, no, enlightenment is birth and death. Nirvana is birth and death. It's not somewhere else. It's not outside the context of our daily experience. So we don't, you know, I'm not trying to say we should make the things that we do grandiose, but we should consider the fact that we're engaged in a lot more skillful response. You know, in, uh, let's see, in Gendokoni says, to carry the self forward is delusion to allow myriad things to come forth and meet the self as realization. To carry the self forward is this way in which we say, oh, gotta have it my way. Somebody pulls in front of me in traffic, I'm pissed, I'm gonna honk my horn, I'm gonna shoot them the finger, I'm gonna chase them down, I'm gonna give them a piece of my mind. Whoa, to carry the self forward is delusion. To allow myriad things to come forth and meet you as realization. What are those myriad things in those situations? It's the causes and conditions of that person's life that you don't even know about that cause them to pull in front of you. It's the causes and conditions of your own life that come forward at that moment. It's the totality of realizing that we have to function in this mandala of generosity that we offer to each other. We're at the grocery store and we've got a whole cartload of groceries and the person behind us has two items and we say, hey, why don't you go ahead of us? That's that mandala of not carrying yourself forward. That's that mandala of allowing myriad things to come forth and meet you. So in Shoji, when he says, you know, birth and death itself is nirvana, that's not some rarefied statement. It's not a mystery. So, but if we're constantly pushing away that notion and saying, no, how can my everyday life be nirvana? How can my problems be nirvana? How can me, my messed up self, who's suffering all the time, be in nirvana? How can that happen? How can I be enlightened? How can I be engaged in things like that? Well, it's partly because we think I am enlightened as opposed to the famous saying that enlightenment is about, about enlightened moments. It's not about enlightened people. So that we engage in these 
reciprocity, these moments of reciprocity, and that's nirvana. Okay, so, so we, we need to think about how do Dogen's teachings relate to my everyday life and not push them away. And uh, so I think that that's another, another message that Dogen is trying to say to us that we can often uh, lose because we're so caught up in a sort of reified idea about the nature of what we think our experience is. Okay, so for Dogen also, here's another thing. For Dogen, uh, dualistic concepts like juxtaposing form and emptiness is never the full story. I think as Western practitioners, many of us spend a lot of time trying to figure out what it means to say form is emptiness, emptiness is form. Many of us get caught in the Heart Sutra. Many of us get caught in Nagarjuna. And so Dogen is saying, no, it's not just about that. That's not the full story. As a matter of fact, he almost never talks about the Dharma as form is emptiness, emptiness is form. I think the only time I've read in Dogen that he uses that phrase is in his uh, Makahanya Haramitsu, which is a very early fascicle of his. And then he goes on to say, form is form, emptiness is emptiness. So this way in which the, the form is emptiness and emptiness is form is not the full story because form and emptiness are like two sides of a coin. They're two sides of the same coin. So Dogen says, let's take a look at the coin itself. And that's what we miss when we're always trying to define things as this or that. He's saying, look at the coin itself. And then he says, birth and death, well, I'm using this, he doesn't say this specifically, but I'm you know, paraphrasing here my understanding of this. Then he says, birth and death, nirvana and samsara, they're the coin. And beyond that, our bodhisattva practice is how we spend that coin. How are you gonna spend that coin of your life? How are you going to function in this form is emptiness, emptiness is form, form itself is not different than emptiness. Emptiness itself is not different than form. Form is form, emptiness is emptiness. Just meaning this life, this piece of coin, this bodhisattva practice. How are we going to realize practice realization in our life? So we have to go beyond the this or that. We can't get caught in one side or the other, and we can't interpret what he's saying from this side of one side or the other. So how do we come to a kind of broader understanding of maybe what Dogen's meaning? And for myself, and I think mostly, uh, to use a baseball analogy, we need to get inside the ballpark. We can't, we have to understand the parameters of the ballpark that we're playing this game in. Dogen's not talking about a game, but the parameters of the ballpark. And how do we know what those parameters are? Because as Westerners, we have all, we're just inundated with teachings from all these various sources. We're kind of like the Chinese. When the Chinese started out, they got all this stuff together, all this stuff. They had Theravadan things, they had all of these various things throughout hundreds and hundreds of years of Buddhist doctrine. 
and they were trying to figure out and make sense of it. And so they came up with these systems to make sense of it. We're kind of like that. So we read Pema Chodron, and we don't think of her as being a very specific school of Tibetan Buddhism. We think of Pema Chodron as being, oh, this, this is Buddhism. We read the Dalai Lama. We don't think about the fact that he's a particular school. We think, oh, he's, that's the Dalai Lama. We read Dogen. We don't think of Dogen as being a particular school, although he's so difficult. Sometimes we can't you know, get away from the, that fact. But there's this way in which we get so much stuff. We read Theravadan texts. We read all these things, especially modern teachers. So how is it that we can understand how to frame and put Dogen in a certain context and we understand what it is that he's trying to teach us that's different than maybe what Pema Chodron's teaching? You know, there are schools of Buddhism that do not believe that we are all Buddha nature that we are Buddha. We say that in Soto Zen, we are Buddha. There are schools of Buddhism who don't believe that everybody is Buddha. There are schools of Buddhism that don't, don't have the same definition of, of our seeing how this functions. So anyway, we need to get in the ballpark. We have to learn the rules of the game to use a sports analogy. And so, if we're not there, we're guessing about what it is we think he means. So first of all, we have our teachers who we hope have them steep themselves beyond their own kind of intuitive understanding of this. So we listen to our teachers and try to figure out what this is about. And I also encourage you to read translations of Dogen that have footnotes because Remember, when translators are translating a word, they have to choose the word. Like in Japanese, there's no plural or singular. So they're choosing plural or singular. In English, it's either this or that. The pronouns are not spe necessarily specific in Japanese. So they're picking the pronouns. So it, we, it's important to, to look at footnotes and also because Often they have footnotes that tell us something about what it is that Dogen was up to or the source material that he was using. So this is really important. And there, by the way, probably in, I don't know, in a couple of years, the Soto, uh, uh, Soto School Translation Project is going to be bringing out a really big version of Shobogenzo. I'm not sure how many books it will be, but there are seven volumes. And the footnotes are amazing. This is a project that Carl Bluefield's heading up, and it's really uh, going to be a definitive translation of the Shobogenzo. So, but it's also going to be expensive. So, just to give you a heads up, save your pennies. I'm guessing somewhere around three hundred dollars. So, uh, anyway. So, how about right now? You can read Stephen Hines' new book which is called Readings of Dogen's Treasury of the True Dharma I. You can read that book. I'm looking over it in my bookcase to see where is it? Oh, here it is. This is what it looks like, right? So that, that's a new book. You can read the overview of Dogen Shobogenzo. Or you can, um, my, 
my absolute all-time favorite interpreter of Dogen or explainer of Dogen is Hee Jin Kim, book on uh, called uh, uh, Dogen Keegan, uh, A. Hey Dogen, Mystical Realist. Uh, Hee Jin Kim is hard to understand, but if you stick with him, it's worth the read. So I like him a lot. We have lots of practitioners like Shohaku Kumura, his personal commentaries and also his translations of Ucha Maroshi. And uh, we have some translations of Bokusan, who was, um, I think, an 18th century, do you know, Kokyo Bokusan, 18th century, I think, 19th century, 19th, 19th century Japanese uh, commentator and teacher of Dogen. Uh, so we have a few of his stuff translated into English. Anyway, so I really, really encourage you to do that uh, if you can. Um, and again, I encourage you to read uh, translations of Dogen that have footnotes. So uh, footnotes would be like um, Nishijima Cross has footnotes. Um, so does uh, Waddell and Abi. They have footnotes. So those are good good sources. Kaz Tanahashi doesn't tend to have footnotes in his texts. Um, some translators like to not translate word for word, but to translate in a way that they uh, feel like it translates the meaning, but not what Dogen said. So they'll kind of intersperse things. Um, so you might watch out for that. Uh, so that's my spiel about 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 that. Uh, how much time do I have? I've been talking for like how long? 30 minutes? 30 minutes. Okay. I'm going to skip a little section here and talk about uh, something is that's an example for me. Um, one of the things that when I started to write my commentary on Uji, there's a, um, a line in Uji and I'll quote it to you. Reaching is impeded by reaching and not impeded by not reaching. Not reaching is impeded by not reaching and not impeded by reaching. Okay, let me read this to you again. Reaching is impeded by reaching and not impeded by not reaching. Not reaching is impeded by not reaching and not impeded by reaching. If you read that line, as I did initially, intuitively, uh, and understood the word impeded as in to get in the way of, you would come up, this is what I came up with. I came up with a meaning like reaching gets in the way of reaching and does not get in the way of not reaching. Not reaching is hindered by not reaching and not hindered by reaching, okay? So I kind of made sense of that to myself. Okay, what here is being translated as impeded in English is gi or gay, gay, G-E in Japanese. And gay means something like to be defined by or to be affirmed by. So what we then we have is reaching is affirmed by or defined by reaching and not defined by not reaching or not affirmed by not reaching. 
not reaching is defined by or not defined or affirmed by not reaching and not defined by reaching. Okay. So that's what I don't know why it's always translated as impeding, but gay means, and, and if you read the footnotes, often they will say this. And this, Dogen uses this word a lot in Shobogenzo. So it's important to understand this because here, here's what this means. And the way I found this out was by reading a book by Joan Strombaugh about being time. And she talks about this. And I, I went, oh, right. Okay, so here's what, what he's, Dogen's saying here. He's saying that you are you and not something else. So reaching is reaching. It's not not reaching. You are you, and you're not a dog. You're not a rock. You are defined by your you-ness and not by some other characteristic. So furthermore, you are not a blob of oneness. Okay, that's not what we're going for in practice is to become integrated in such a way that we cease to be who we are, that we have no personality, that we become some amorphous thing. So he's saying, you are not a blob of oneness. So our goal in practice is not to disappear. We have a self. There is a there there. So he is affirming this in this statement. Now, the reason he's affirming this is because we can only attain realization through the self. We are individual selves that are defined by this, our perceptions, our karma, all of the things that we are. This, you know, person that you see here, I have an outline. I'm not the books behind me. You know, you, you see that. Who is it who has some realization? Who is it who is functioning in the world skillfully or unskillfully? Who is it who enacts transformation? Now, we don't do it alone. You know, we do it in the context of this relational event called our life, this relational mandala of all beings functioning the world, worlding the world. But we, it, is, it is our individual practice that gives us as individuals, as bodhisattvas, that practice through that definition. And the definition, again, to carry the self forward is delusion. To allow myriad things to meet the self is realization. There is a self in there. And that self is a self that is integrated with all being, but the self itself is still the self. And so that's what he's saying in this paragraph. That's what he's talking about. He's talking about this relationship of particularity with realization in this paragraph. So your liberation is dependent on your own life. It's dependent upon your own particularity in response to and relationship to the totality of your experience. So who, who is enlightened? That who that is enlightened or that who that engaged in enlightened moments 
our enlightened response. That who is an expression of interbeing and interconnection with all being. But that who responds to the particularity of that life. That skillful response or unskillful response, that bodhisattva or Buddha mind. So that who, in the case of you, is you. That who is defined by you, not somebody else. You are you. So the who is also experiencing this particularity of a particular time, a moment, a particular self. And that's the only place that we can express realization. We cannot, as individuals, express realization as somebody else. I cannot express Kokyo as real, his realization. Only he can express his realization. We do it in accord with all of life functioning. We don't do it in a vacuum. But there is this way in which, at simultaneously, it is us. We are defined. We must be defined. Reaching is defined by reaching. It's not defined by not reaching. It may be informed by not reaching, but it is not defined. You are not defined by a rock. You may be informed by a rock. You may be informed by many things, but for liberation to happen, it happens here in concert with all beings. So that's the point he's trying to make here. And I think that if you don't know what that word is being, uh, that gay is being defined, is being translated as um, uh, impeding, then you're going to miss that point altogether. So another reason to really, you know, and I know Kokio does this. He really goes into and looks at the characters and tries to figure out what it is that's going on. So I'm going to end here, uh, and I hope that, uh, well, I hope you don't feel discouraged in the sense of feeling overwhelmed by this uh, stuff about reading Dogen. Um, I think it's important to take up what you do not understand as a koan. What is this? What is it that he's trying to say? Inform yourself as best you can about the kind of nuts and bolts of how that works and then have faith in it and then take it up as a koan in your own life uh, in this practice. I think that Dogen really wanted us to wake up. I think he wanted every one of his students to wake up and he wrote these texts because it was, of course, he enjoyed writing and he was a smart guy and all that stuff. But, you know, it's like, think of it. When we pick up a Dogen text, he's right there with us. The centuries melt away. There is no, there is no, uh, you know, um, separation that he is speaking directly to us. Shinshu, you know, Shinshu. Birth and death, nirvana, they're the same thing. Don't go north, go south. And, uh, and he's trying to, to speak to us about that. 
So I really want to encourage you to, you know, investigate Dogen uh, with your and try to figure out what it is he's trying to say to us as best you can intellectually, you know, but ultimately we have to step off the hundred foot pole. But we got to get up on that pole and we want to be on Dogen's pole, not on somebody else's pole when we step off that hundred foot pole. So I encourage you to um, continue in your studies and um, yeah. And, you know, we all kind of do this together and uh, have this big conversation with each other about, about this practice and about how it is that who Dogen was and what he was saying to us. So thank you very much. Uh, I'd be curious to know what your thoughts are. If you have questions. Thank you. Thank you so much, Shinshu. And uh, please, if people have questions or comments, please go ahead and raise your hand or wave at the camera. Maybe I can start with a, well, actually, let's go with Sherry. Please, Sherry. Thank you for your talk, Reverend Roberts. Um, so at the very end, you were talking about um, reaching. And I, I just immediately assumed that reaching meant grasping. But that was not it, um, according to what you were saying. In fact, I'm, now I'm totally lost about it. it's not grasping, it's just being you. Is well, he's, he's talking about uh, four aspects of practice that are he's talking about the mind reaching, word reaching, mind and word both reaching, neither men, mind nor word reaching. So it's a, it's a kind of technical thing that's going on here that he's talking about four aspects of practice when he's using the, those words about reaching. But ultimately what he's saying is that this aspect in, has to be seen within the context of its particularity, which can be understood also within the context of our personal understanding as well. So that's what he's talking here about our liberation. So, I mean, I, I think this is, uh, it's uh, this particular part of Uji is a little technical. So I kind of like, don't want to get into all the, you know, the, the four ramifications of the things that he's talking about the mind and, and all, and the word and all of that stuff. But take, take me, take my word at this. This is what, he's talking about here, not about uh, being obstructed by something. Shinshu. I could say, read my book. <laughs> I have a whole chapter on this. <laughs> Shinshu, I wanted to ask you about the, um, especially when you were speaking about um, intuition or an intuitive understanding of, of Dogen, I wanted to ask you about the role of Zazen in studying Dogen in particular. Uh, it's just, you know, seeing as how we just had our Genzoe, the sort of the beauty of sitting Zazen and then studying and then coming back to Zazen and going back and forth. And when you said that, what you said about intuition, I thought about, you know, what I, I guess the, the idea of intuitive wisdom or where that comes from amidst all this. And obviously it comes from your Dharma position and all the causes and conditions, but I wanted to hear a little bit from you about, about Zazen. Well, um, 
to my mind, Zazen is a direct experience of the presencing moment. So Zazen is putting yourself um, completely into whatever's arising at that point in time. So that activity in and of itself is practice realization, right? It's like that, that activity, to engage in that activity is to put yourself both in the position of doing a practice and at the same time, simultaneously, that practice itself is an expression of realization. That uh, there's so much that goes on in Zazen for us as individuals, like what we think about it or don't think about it or what's going on in our heads or not going in our heads or if we're talking about, you know, what is fushirio or, or, you know, what is thinking or non-thinking or not thinking or all that kind of stuff that goes on, which is totally superfluous. And yet we, it's part of the process of sitting. So to me, sitting is a kind of uh, magical activity in which it's like we sit down in the middle of the stream and, um, there's all sorts of stuff going on that we don't have the slightest idea about what's going on. And yet we just keep coming back and sitting there. And eventually uh, some transformation happens through that process of engaging. Um, whether or not I think that, I think that opens us up to, in relationship to Dogen, if we're sitting and then we start to read something, no matter what it is, but it's nice, of course, to read, not our murder mystery, but to sit down and read something written that is profound and has some kind of deeper meaning or whatever. And we contemplate a religious text. In this case, we have a clear, we have a more open mind because hopefully we've let ourselves go in a certain way in the process of being not getting caught in our thoughts. Now, if we're totally caught in our thoughts, then I don't know that we've been, we've been sitting zazen, but I don't know that we're in this space of in, intuition. Does that make sense, Mark? I mean, so it's kind of like an individual event, but it does quiet us down to a place where we can come to something fresh. But, and, 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 and this is difficult about Dogen because sometimes, you know, it's like you read Dogen, and I don't know about you guys, but when I first read Dogen, there was something going on that I deeply did not understand. But intuitively, it spoke to me. Intuitively, it said, there's something going on here that I really want to, it really resonates with me intuitively. Like I feel... Uh, I when I read it, I feel somehow more in touch or something. I don't know. Somehow there's something going on there that is beyond my intellect. It's beyond my my experience or what ability to define. And so that's what kept me going back. It's like you go to a Dharma talk and you don't have the slightest idea what the teacher's talking about, and yet there's something about it that you go, okay, I don't get this, but something happened. 
and I want to keep coming back and doing it. That's like Zazen too, right? Okay, I don't know what's going on here. So I got an instruction. I read the Fukan Zazengi, you know, I know what I'm supposed to do, yada, da, da, da. But, you know, when push comes to shove and you've been sitting there for two days and your legs hurt and you're, you know, struggling, uh, all that stuff kind of goes out the door. You're just like, okay, I am here. I am here. I give myself points for that. That's all. That's all. You know, I'm still here. Uh, so, so there's this way in which, yes, there's a place for that, for intuition. Absolutely. Let us be inspired. Let us be feel the whole world, you know, is with us on this. And yet at the same time, let's try to figure out what he was actually trying to say to us about the nature of practice, you know, because, because we want to go beyond. Uh, we have to do, you know, it's like there, there's a place for both of them. It's like form and emptiness, right? They're not different. There's a place for both of them. But what is it? What's that thing beyond that, you know, beyond this or that? That's my that's my answer, as insufficient as it may be. Thank you. Yeah. Um, we have Mary and then Rich who have questions. First, um, I am so um, grateful, grateful, um, uh, Reverend Shinshu, for your uh, presentation, and so grateful for the thoughts you just expressed. Because I, when I first read Dogen, it seemed like the equivalent of jazz. It's like I can listen to some jazz pieces and appreciate something about them. Like there's a, 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 a pianist uh, composer. His name is Keith Jarrett, and his his recordings, his playing, it's it's just wonderful. But I don't understand about the skill of the te- the phrasing, the technology, the ever that 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 he um, that brought him to to put those pieces out there, and I it. It's like there's something, there's like the two words, uh, resonance and affinity come to mind. So I appreciate that you're studying and I appreciate and, and will appreciate your continued elaboration of encouraging words because my perspective is that you gotta read them many times and from more than one translator, as you said. Uh, but please go on. But thank you for what you previously said, because it's like, I didn't understand it at all, but it was like somehow engaging, resonant. I, 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 would, I, would, I would even think for me to say intuitive is presumptuous because I'm not sure my intuition is there. Or was there, or I'm not, I don't know what it is. It's just, but it's like it, you're caught. You hear it? Well, I think you. I think your jazz analogy is is really, really a good one. And I would say that um, as practitioners, right, 
we can listen to jazz or listen to music and we can be inspired to open our hearts, you know, just to feel our hearts open through this music that we're listening to. And that heart opening in and of itself is really marvelous. You know, it's, it's like really important and it's a key part of our practice. And in many ways, that's enough. That's enough in and of itself. But if we want to take up the practice in a way in which we become the musician, right? Then we have to understand how it's constructed. Then we have to understand how to actually play the music. So there's nothing wrong with opening our hearts and dancing, just dancing for the sure joy of dancing. But if we want to do the Congo as opposed to the Watusi, we have to learn the steps of the Congo or the rumba or whatever it is. So one is not necessarily better than the other, but I have to say from the position of a teacher, if you want to teach the rumba, you better learn the steps for that dance. And so that's how I would talk about that. So thank you, Mary, because I think that's a really good, really good analogy is talking about music because most of us don't really understand how it's constructed. I don't, I'm not a musician. Uh, it's like, you know, I can do chords on my guitar, but that's about it, you know? So, so, so I think that's a really good, good analogy. And uh, yeah, thank you very much. I appreciate it. I've rendered you all speechless. Oh, Karen, come on, let's hear something. Look, she's going, don't put me on the spot. <laughs> what do you think, Karen? May I? Oh, well, wait, let me see if she's going to say something first. Uh, I think Rich is, is waiting, but he just wasn't on. I, I was just oh. trying to encourage him because I thought he was <laughs> going to go. <laughs> okay, do you want to be off the hook? I'll go to Rich. Okay. Yes, okay. Sorry, okay. I didn't mean to disrupt that. Um, <laughs> I, I appreciate Karen too. Thank you, Karen, for all you bring to the Sangha. Thank you very much. Um, I just wanted to thank you, uh, Reverend Shinshu. I'm just like really uh, appreciative of what you said about how when reading Dogen, it's easy to fall into the trap of, oh, I know what this means because the translator has sort of made it legible for me to understand. And it, on the surface of it, it looks very clear. And I've just noticed in my own study, how many times I've mistaken what he wrote and how many times when listening to a translator, I like to listen to Shohaku Kumura. And I'm like, oh, I thought I knew what this meant. And then I'm like, after listening to him talk, I'm like, I had no idea what it meant. And it was just like, it was my ego was sort of like, I know what this is. And it was almost like I had to like put my ego down and say, no, I don't. I really appreciate what you're saying. Cause I feel like that's what has to happen to read Dogen for me anyway. Yeah, you know, I, I wouldn't characterize it as ego necessarily in a negative way. I think it's just human nature 
that when we read something and we're really trying to figure out what it's about, then we translate it into something we already know. And we say to ourselves, oh, that's like this. You know, the screen keeps changing and I lost you. There you are. And that's like this, you know, and that's uh, sometimes that's really helpful. Uh, like Mary saying, well, you know, it's like jazz. So that that's a way in which it's really helpful. But other times it's not so helpful. And I think particularly in because in the United States, in the West, we have access to so much Buddhist literature and most of us do not read source material. Many, many, many people read popular books uh, written by teachers who have very deep doctrinal knowledge of their own schools, like for example, Pema Chodron, but she's writing a more general book for us to you know, ease the suffering of our lives through the Buddhist teaching. So it's like, um, of course, you know, we're just doing what we naturally do, which is to say, oh yeah, that sounds like this. And so that must be the same thing. But I just say, you know, I think it's really important for us to put a little doubt in there for ourselves and say, wait a minute, wait a minute, before I do that, maybe I should back up here and, and try to let go of that. It might be that that is the same thing, but it might not be that that's what's going on here. And, uh, and in Dogen, uh, I think oftentimes it's not, you know, in, in Shoji, when, when he's, when he wrote, you know, birth and death itself is Nirvana. That's a koan for us. What, what you're telling me birth and death is Nirvana. It sure as hell doesn't feel like it. You know, um, I thought Nirvana was all about sweetness and light. I thought Nirvana was all about no suffering. How can nirvana be right in the middle of, you know, this fire of samsara that I call my life in the middle, all in the middle of my problems? So, um, yeah, and and if you just say to yourself, "Oh, well, that's about that's about emptiness," and you know, everything. Okay, I've read in the garden. I know samsara, nirvana, the same thing, and I know that you know the doctrine of emptiness means that. You know, everything is is essentially the same or something like that. You're going to miss the point of that, which is, you know, uh, what, as he says in Gensha Koan, and yet uh, in attachment, flowers fall. And uh, what, in aversion, weeds spread. That's That's like such a beautiful cap phrase for what he said before that, because he's saying, and yet, and yet in our life, Yep, weeds spread and flowers fall and we grieve and we struggle. And uh, that is so poignant to me and so much about that koan of, boy, how do I live my life? What does it mean to say my life is nirvana? I, I fully understand what you're saying. I've, I've been studying yeah. that too and it's very poignant. Yes. Yeah. Uh, yes. Thank you. Thank you. Karen. Yeah, I'll just, <laughs> I don't know that I actually have anything, but um, but I I am very uh, inspired by what you're saying because um, I I really actually look forward to 
doing more study. And um, I'm going to look and see what we have in our library for our translations, and uh, and we can look and see, and make sure we we keep up with that. And uh, we really appreciated Kokio's um, teachings, as we mentioned with this recent session. So um, this really resonates with me. I, and I, I think it, it is really easy uh, to have the, uh, like you said, just there's, you know, you can take a phrase, something and maybe have an understanding, but then it just becomes this kind of symbol that you can move around and, and, and throw in there. And uh, at that point we've missed it. So uh, really carefully studying is, um, something I really value. So I'm just very appreciative for all of your thoughts today. Yeah, and I was just thinking about Uji, you know, the report part, Uji, he says, you know, is there anything missing in your life or not? And um, we know as good Zen students, the answer to that is no. But <laughs> we know as human beings, the answer to that is you bet. So, you know, when Dogen asks a question, it's a koan. It's a koan. He's saying, wait a minute, stop here and, and go into this and really investigate what this is about. So, you know, that, that to me is a, a really encouraging thing about, about his heart, his heart and how he speaks to us. And Kokyo, I know, you know, my Dharma brother Kokyo and I have studied a few things together and I know that he is completely dedicated to both, you know, the, the walking on the ocean and walking, you know, on the floor of the ocean and the top of the ocean simultaneously, which is to say completely dedicated to going down, down, down into the intuitive, you know, bentic layer of, of our life and practice and Dogen. And at the same time, going and saying, what does this mean? What does this mean? What are these characters? How does this translate? And, and then, you know, that's the practice that, you know, coming together in the amalgamation of, of those things. So I'm sure he could tell us a few things about, about this topic as well. Yes, yes. Well, I, yeah, I really appreciate it. It's gonna remind me, I'm gonna stay with, stay with asking, the questions and about what it means. Sometimes we'll have a discussion and someone will be saying something recently, a stone is a stone. And it became this sort of thing that then people were referring to in the conversation. And, and in that context, I really didn't know what that was supposed to mean. And the, but it's, it's hard to kind of go, I'm sorry, I just feel really stupid, but right now I don't get that one. And so it this just reminds me to just keep asking and keep asking. Don't make just sort of assumptions about stuff and always stay on the surface. So thank you. Yeah, let's be stupid. Let's all be stupid together, you know. <laughs> Hello, Eric. Yes, sir. Hey, Shinsu, how are you? Nice, thank you for the, the talk. I enjoyed it very much. At the beginning of the 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 talk you you mentioned that that uh, Dogen thought that all all Buddhism is the same essentially I mean like so you're saying that zazen is not necessarily important in the in in the practice of Buddhism like in Soto Zen it's pretty much about and, and Dogen it's about zazen but 
but the other Shingong and many of the other forms of Buddhism don't have any uh, zazen part of it. Okay, let me, let me refine what my state, what I actually, I what must not have said that very clearly. Um, Dogen believed that what he was teaching was the teachings of Buddha, right? Right. And as Westerners, and, and I'm sure Dogen knew this too. I mean, Dogen was very erudite and he knew, he studied a lot of different stuff. So he knew about all these different schools and history and all this stuff. But I think he, you know, how he characterizes it is that this is one continuous teaching of Buddha and that his understanding is the one continuous teaching of Buddha with and I guess he doesn't, sometimes he says, if you believe this other thing, you're off in left field, and that's not the teaching of Buddha, right? Mm -hmm. So I'll just say that's what I was trying to say about that is, um, so, you know, he's talking about Buddha nature, and his understanding of Buddha nature is the teaching of Shakyamuni Buddha. Probably our understanding of early Theravada teachings that we would have not been how Buddha would have characterized uh, that particular doctrine, okay, Shakyamuni Buddha, the historical Buddha. So that's one thing. I, I was just kind of throwing that out there. Um, what was the other thing I was going to say about what you said? Um, oh, about Zazen. Um, I have a question about this is an heretical statement. I have a question about whether or not. Zazen was as important to Dogen's practice as we think it was. And the reason I think that is because Dogen has some, a, a few, if you look at the, the, his writings, he writes a lot more about the Bodhisattva path in general than he does about sitting Zazen. And he writes about actively being in the world and functioning in the world more than he does about sitting zazen. Now, am I saying that sitting zazen is not important? No. Am I saying that sitting zazen is not, was not a primary practice of his monastic life? No, I'm not saying that. I'm just saying as Americans, we have this I think we have this fixation on zazen as if that's like the only, only way to practice Dogen's way. In Japan, that's not true. And that, and then people say, oh, well, the Japanese, they have, they don't have a very good practice because they're, you know, they don't have it all focused on zazen. That's wrong. That's, that's a, I don't know, a, a, an incorrect interpretation of, of what's going on in Japanese practice. So I don't know. I don't know, you know, and I'm not trying to say Zazen's not important. And I'm not trying to say that Dogen didn't say that Zazen was important. But I think there's more going on in Dogen than Zazen. So I'm sorry, that's my kind of heretical view. Maybe because I've never felt like I was very good at sitting Zazen. So I kind of feel like if that's the only way that we can practice Dogen, then what's all that stuff he wrote in, you know, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of pages about practice that Uji's like, you know, some, 
Uchi is not about sitting zazen. It can be about sitting zazen, but it's a lot more than sitting zazen. Uchi's not a manual on how to sit zazen. Uchi's a manual on how to practice Buddhism in Dogen's way. In your life, in your everyday life, it's not all about just, you know, sitting on the cushion. And a lot of people get caught in that. They're sitting and sitting and sitting and they're good at it, which means good means that, I don't know, maybe they go into some kind of trance state or they feel really good or they are able to go into some kind of samadhi or something like that. The rest of us are like going, God, my knees are killing me. My back hurts. You know, it's like I just all I'm doing is thinking, thinking, thinking and all this stuff. Well, of course, Sazen includes all of that. Um, but, it, you know, it's like, for me, it's not my favorite activity. So if, that, if my only practice is about sitting zazen and how well I sit zazen, then what's happening there? What's that about? Because Buddhism, our practice has to be about the whole world. It has to about be being at the grocery store, driving our car, being in relationship with our partners. How are we respond to our friends? How do we react to our enemies? You know, how do we cultivate an open heart towards Donald Trump? How do we, you know, do our, I don't know, Joe Biden, depending on your political beliefs, how, you know, how do we define this Saha world to ourselves? So there you go, Eric, you got me going. It's your fault, my polemic on, on uh, <laughs> Dogen and Zazen. <laughs> okay, thank you. Thank you so much, Shinshu, for uh, for your talk, for your presence, for being with us this morning. And um, thank you all very much, everyone else, for, for being here. Yes, thank you. I, I've enjoyed myself, and, and I hope this has been helpful or enjoyable to everybody else. And and uh, Marco, thank you so much for, for asking me. I really appreciate it. It's very good to have you.